Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast. This is episode number 60 which is entitled How to Create Great Surveys for Your Clients with Mark Sinclair from Sparkchart. It was published on Thursday, the 25th of January, 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small development agency based in the north of England. And I'll be joined a little bit later for our regular discussion by David Wormsley. Please feel free to share the podcast by clicking on the buttons on the wpbuilds.com website or you can leave iTunes reviews. Five stars, always appreciated. Thank you very much. If you want to join the Facebook group, it's wpbuilds.com forward slash Facebook. It'll take you straight there and you can join in. Uh, You'll have to join, but uh, you can join in once you've done that. Uh, Forward slash subscribe to subscribe to the newsletter and forward slash advertise if you would like to advertise on the podcast. Now we do actually have a competition on at the moment and you can go to wpbuilds.com forward slash win and you'll be able to get a chance to win one of two lifetime licenses for the Ultimate Dashboard Pro plugin which enables you to customize and adapt the WordPress admin perhaps for yourself or for your clients if you want to sort of lock them out or put extra things on there to enable them to make life a little bit easier. It's on for another week. It ends, uh, I think, Wednesday next week. So you can go uh, sign in. And as always, the more you share it, the more chances you have of actually winning. Okay, thanks for all that. Let's go over now to the news items. First item is the events calendar. The modern tribe people are explaining why they believe that Gutenberg is a good thing. In their post, they described the fact that they had two choices. They could make Gutenberg just work and then get on with their roadmap of usual stuff and new features, or they could go the hard route, um, abandon new features for a little while uh, of the events calendar and concentrate fully on using the new Gutenberg options. And they decided to do that and they explain why this is a good thing. They've got better code, reusable blocks, customizable events, displays, and so on and so forth. And why it's a little bit scary, some of the problems that they're running into. Um, and if you're a developer and if you've used their products, it might be quite interesting for you to see exactly what's going on and why they've taken this approach. If you are a user of WordFence, uh, it automatically updates itself. WordFence 7 uh, is now around and you might be a little bit alarmed to think you've got yourself a brand new plugin. Something malicious has been installed because their UI has completely changed. I don't know, to be honest, if the, uh, the product itself has changed or if it's just the UI, but the UI is dramatically different, much more modern and up to date. And so if you've got WordFence, it might be worth familiarizing yourself with where everything is and where all the... The, the old options are now residing. Speaking of uh, WordFence, um, if you were to go to the halfelf.org website, you would find a post on there um, written by Mika Epstein all about why he's not using security plugins. And it's the age-old arguments about, you know, really, you can't just install something like WordFence and then say, that's it, I'm done, and then not think about anything else. There's all the usual stuff like, you know, have you got a firewall on the server? How's your site scanning being done? Are you offloading that job to a third party or is it actually happening on your CPU cycles? 
um, and be aware that, you know, basically if your site is hacked, you need something to, you need some procedure to, to bring it all back and to stop it happening. So yeah, I think he makes some very valid arguments about why he's not using one. You perhaps are, but you may uh, want to go and check out what he's saying. Um, this is on the w, sorry, the displaywp.com website, and it's the encouraging fact that old versions of PHP, so the likes of PHP 5, up until July last year, it was a worrying trend that a lot of unsupported, well, deprecated versions, shall we say, of PHP were still widely in use, but that trend now seems to have swiftly moved to rather than the majority being on old versions, we now have the majority on new versions. The exact numbers and the exact versions that, of PHP that are being used by WordPress, you can find out uh, by clicking on the link in the show notes. And finally, um, this is a post by uh, Jeff Chandler on the WP Tavern website, but it's um, it's all about Ahmed Awais and uh, his new Gottenberg, well, I don't really know exactly what it's called. I think it's called the Gottenblock Toolkit, but he's built a way. Now, I should point out that this is for the Tinfoil Hat Brigade. It's a fairly um, complicated thing that you've got to go through, but he, he's built um, a simple kind of like point and click, I guess, way of building Gutenberg, Gutenberg blocks. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, so if you're not technically savvy, don't bother. But if you are and you want to play with Gutenberg blocks, this apparently makes it much more straightforward to do. Okay, now that the news is over, let's get on with the, the, the main event, if you like. First of all, a discussion with um, David Wormsley and myself. And today we're going to be discussing why you should niche down or not. And then all the way from Australia, we've got Mark Sinclair, who owns, runs, co-owns, I think, a SaaS product called SparkChart, which is a survey creating tool with all the bells and whistles. And he describes the tool, um, talks about it at great length, but also what makes a good survey and why surveys are something that you should be offering to your clients. So here we go. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, today's topic is on niching down or specializing, and we've borrowed this topic really from our chum Lee Jackson from WP Innovator, the podcast, and also the YouTube channel. And we've actually kind of stolen one of his videos to talk about on this one, so it's worth checking down. It's one called Web Design Why You Should Niche Down. And in our case, our topic is, or should you? <laughs> yes, yes. Because we don't, do we? No, um, I think I would say it's fair to say that in most situations, there's a really good reason for niching down. And obviously, lots of people have talked about it endlessly and, and made it the uh, kind of the, the purpose of their business, whether that's niching down to, uh, for lawyers or niching down for weddings or whatever. But yeah, I don't do that just because I... I arrived into web development by accident, sort of, and and didn't know that this might have been a good idea. So we're going back, I don't know, a decade or yeah. more. And nobody told me that would have been a good idea. So I've just kind of got myself out in the local community. And so my niche really is my geographical area. So I, yeah. I take all commas. And so my business... If I suddenly did niche down on weddings, I don't. I think I'd be out of work until I spent enough time making sure that I had some authority in the wedding uh, sphere. But um, how come you don't? Um, well, I don't because um, I, I 
in, in fact, in some ways, I am, I guess, niching or niching down, whatever you say, um, in the sense that there's a kind of, if you like, type of person who might want their websites done in a certain way. So I'm going for maybe a type of person, but the industries don't matter. And I'm not actually sure with Lee's video, because I probably should cover a little bit about what he's saying. Yeah, here. okay, yeah. He's, he's kind of putting out a challenge in a way to everybody to to lose that fear of missing out that we might have. So we say, you know, in a networking event, as he sort of describes, you might want to say you do sites for anybody just to make sure that you don't miss out on some potential business where he's saying, you know, it might be a lot better or you'll stand out more if you said in those networking events that you do this, I'm known for doing this. So you're the person who does this. And I think that's his challenge. I think it's a great challenge, but yeah, for me, um, yeah, I, I still need to keep it wide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the point is, if you were starting your business now or your business was uh, struggling and you needed to find a focus, then it would probably be a really good idea. Um, in the UK, we're quite tightly packed in. There's lots of us per square mile. Some places more so than others. For example, London is really busy and so is Manchester. Where I am is is much more spread out. It's much more countryside. But... Um, I I don't think that I'm at that point because, like I said, if I had to suddenly stop and decide weddings is my thing from now on, there would be a period of adjustment where I would presumably have to spend time curating and creating content about weddings to give me authority because presumably you can't just rock up and say, look, I'm the wedding guy without mm. without having done lots of wedding websites. How How, how would... How would you approach that if you were suddenly deciding to niche down? What would what would you do? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I think that's, in some ways, I think you know, as you know, that I get most of my work from my friend whose business has been going since like two thousand, and in some way, she's accidentally picked up her own niches because you know she gets one customer who's in like the the, the gaming era uh, kind of area of work, and they that's led on to other work. So we've ended up doing a load of sites for, for people who sell those kind of cheesy games that you see in seaside towns and stuff or manufacture them. So in some ways they come about accidentally, the niche in that case. Right. Well, that's, that's a nice mm. happy coincidence, isn't it? But mm. I wonder if let, let's take the example of weddings. Um, mm. You know, uh, you would have to spend presumably a bit of time creating some content on your own web page to demonstrate a that you'd you'd thought long and hard about this and you know you provide the best service possible for for somebody who's uh, presumably in the wedding industry but also you'd have to provide examples of websites that you've done because that's a question i get asked all the time when um when i'm proposing uh to, yeah. to people that they often say can you show me an example of your work well if you're saying i'm the wedding man then you're going to have to show examples of your work. So there must be some period of adjustment where you just hunker down, take a knock on the finances, or I guess you could try and decide, well, I'm going to keep my existing work, maybe slim that down a little bit, and over time I'm going to become the, the wedding man. Um, but it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not something I've ever really touched. No, I think the, I mean, the obvious advantage is we all know about the long tail on the Internet. So if your clients are international, you know, the way to be able to stand out in search is to, you know, just specialize in one kind of niche, isn't it? Better than, you know, so you can collect people who want, you know, web design for this particular niche rather than just web designers. I'll yes. say you've got a better chance of rising to the top. So there's a lot of sense to that. But I do think that we are, you know, as we say, 
geographically located. There's a sort of trust element about picking someone who works local to you to yes. do your web design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where I live, an awful lot of business is done locally. Um, and yeah. there's quite a lot of networking organizations, which I'm not really a part of. But there, there is a lot of that. And, and also, it just so happens that where I live, because it's quite cut off from the rest of the UK, you know, if you, if you look on a map, like a Google map where I live, there's basically countryside around my town for sort of 40 miles. So it's, it's quite cut off. So a lot of the businesses turn upon each other to get to get work. And, um, and that, that's, yeah. that's just a, a lucky, happy coincidence. But what, what niches are there? What what is I mean? So we've mentioned the only two that came into my head there. Well, one of them was wedding. What yeah. what other ones would would you if if this was proposed to you and your business was failing and you had to really niche down? What what kind of keywords would you be searching for in Google? Do you think? Yeah, I do you know. What? Honestly, I don't know, and I don't know how most people find their web designers, which is I don't think they do searching Google. So I don't think as much advantage do you know what you asked me a question can i answer because i just suddenly thought how i might handle it if i didn't have the work mm. i might do which we're doing at the moment which is make templates up example um, portfolio if you like so different types of of templated designs for that particular niche yes that's a good so in other words when you're speak when you've managed to get the phone call and you're on the line with somebody talking about weddings mm. you can demonstrate not here's five sites that i've done but look here's mm. five possible sites that you could pick from that sort of approach yeah yeah, yeah that's a really see. good idea and of course these days that's easier than ever with with um you know page builders and things you can knock these things up in a in a matter of hours and um and i think most people um have got a, an expectation of what a site will be and most people i would say don't want something brand new and whiz bang with custom css particularly and large amounts of custom javascript so having something thrown together quite quickly that you can demonstrate might just do it yeah there is another thing isn't there it could get a bit boring if you uh, there's some advantages if you do a site for some industry we know we've got a friend who did for electrical services now he had two mm. issues one what the advantage was that he he knew all about their industry so he could talk their language so it was quicker to build the sites so he knew what they needed what their what their um, visitors were likely to need so that cut out a lot of time on the process the problem was that they had similarities in that niche they didn't really kind of adopt um digital marketing very well yeah. they weren't keen on it didn't want to spend too much money that that is a really good point though obviously the wedding analogy only goes so far but the electrical one is quite good isn't it because <clears throat> excuse me there there will be over time a, a great deal of knowledge that you'll amass about what a typical electrical retailer for example is going to want on their website and you're going to be able to suggest things before they think about them whereas mm -hmm. if you um if you're more general like me you have to do quite a lot of work trying to work out what the business is actually doing and what the real pain points are and you know that can yeah. take hours and and sometimes you just get it quite wrong and it turns out that the thoughts that you had about what their what their primary purpose for a website is um is in fact incorrect and they want something different so the more you you go for electrical or weddings or lawyers um yeah the, the more likely you are to be able to get up get up front and suggest things to them which is going to swing it in your direction i've done quite a few lawyers sites and in yeah. the end that did become a little bit easier because 
it became obvious to me that, you know, they wanted to demonstrate the human face. Um, so we wanted nice photography and they wanted to demonstrate the four areas of UK law, which a typical UK law practice will 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 sell themselves under. Um, and so there was less less proposing. And also you can you can sometimes in those meetings tell them what they need. And, and if you use all of their their meta language for whatever industry they're in, that could be that could be quite an impressive thing for them to hear. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? This uh, it's just made me think that, and in a way, we've got another niche going on because even with a lot of the local businesses, we do very quick websites for them. But their their needs are the same in a way because even if they are uh, a hairdresser or a plumber or a mechanic or something, that their basic needs are the same. You know, they are kind of small businesses who need to sort of appear in local search. And usually, they again, need to put their faces out there. Also, they've got the same basic needs, but the actual their industries are completely different. It's really, you know, here I am, come and book me. Yes, know? yeah. I, I wonder. Uh, let's let's go through it then. Come on, let's make a list. What if you if you were doing this? Let let me just off the top of my head list the things that I think might have some value if you had to niche down. So I'm going to say lawyers. I'm going to yeah. say different kinds of retail. So you know, using WooCommerce with, say, um, I don't know, bathroom stores or uh, toy shops, um, things like, yeah. um, what do they call them in other parts of the world? I don't know, but we call them odd job men. So it might be, you know, plumbers, electricians, yeah. that kind of thing. But at that point, I'm kind of getting stuck. What else is there? Yeah. Well, some people, well, there's actually some sort of DIY services competing for the restaurant food market. Good point. Food, um, yeah. Yeah, like Happy Tables and uh, what is it, Restaurant Engine, they're sort of do-it-yourself services. But other, I've seen other designers actually go for that market as well for custom work. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I yeah. thought of a niche. Go on. Yeah, for me. But it's not, I didn't know who I would aim it at. But, uh, you know, recently did a site and I've done a lot of these where they're product based sites, but they don't want WooCommerce, but they do want their own kind of uh, filtering systems so they can find the products within them. And they, you know, they need to put their own kind of data in. So, you know, for us on the technical side, using something like Beaver Thema makes it easy to create those custom post types. And I thought, gosh, you know, what I've done with those kind of sites could be replicated over and over again for all people who have products but don't need to sell them online, you know. But I still haven't worked out how I could turn that into a niche. It's a kind of niche product or a type of website, but without a person to go to with it. Do, do you think that if you did niche down, um, yeah. then you would be able to churn the sites out quicker and at a lower cost. So obviously, if you've done 15 lawyer's sites and you, you win the 16th lawyer's site, presumably having that handle on all the plugins that you've used in the past and all the um, design tropes yeah. and things you've used in the past, you could probably knock those sites out very quickly and then potentially pass that on. And all of a sudden, you've got yeah. yourself a, a nice little business selling niche sites for a low-cost which obviously has has its other moral <laughs> dilemmas, but um, yeah, I think I, I think I'm I'm coming down on the side of it being a really good idea for everyone else. Yes, <laughs> I think it's one you have to ask yourself seriously. You know, should you be going and niching down? I think everybody should ask this question. I don't think it necessarily comes to the the right answer. I, I see one other issue with this: if you become the person known for lawyer sites yes mm. you're still going to probably be confined 
geographically or, or it's more likely that people local to you are going to gravitate even if that's you know a uk wide mm. do these then lawyers want to go with the person who's built the site for all of their competitors ah that's a really good yeah how does that work yeah you could have, you could have with a problem there couldn't you well you re- <laughs> yeah because yeah there's a real moral and potentially legal dilemma isn't it because yeah, if if you're if you're showing that you are running the websites for the, the rival law firm in the same town, there's a little bit of well, there's a there's an element of distrust, isn't there? Sure, it's great. Yeah. The website that you built for them was wonderful, but but we know that by the, when you finished our website, you're going to be going back to them um, yeah, yeah. to to improve and curate their website and make sure it's all okay and especially if you're selling seo services how on earth <laughs> how do you how do you justify the the seo for two local rival businesses sure yeah so surely that implies that you have to be geographically more spread out than than you know your, your little local area presumably i think we've i think we've got another topic somewhere in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but that is a really really good point and i've not yet come across that i've never built within a certain time frame a geographically similar website for the same industry within let's say two or three years so by the time uh, the, the example of a law website comes to mind. By the time I built my second or third law website, the first one was completely out of date and I wasn't working for them anymore. So that problem never occurred to me. But I'm now moving more into, you know, care plans and things like that. So it does matter. And presumably you would have to have disclaimers and non-disclosure agreements. Um, now, maybe for the plumber, it's not so important. But for people like... Um, lawyers who have this capacity to sue people that that could, <laughs> that could be important <laughs> uh, anyway that was a really good chat we we better close off haven't we because we've had our time yeah we're about um we're about there we're trying to roughly get under 20 minutes and we're on about we're on about 16 minutes for this one who knows if we've got that right do you know what though i would be really interested um, to hear from anybody who does listen to this about what niche you're actually in and what's proved to be profitable. Uh, I think it's fair to say that David and I are not going to try and swoop in and steal <laughs> your good idea. But if you are in a really weird niche that that you know, you'd know you like to tell us about, stick something in the comments or in the Facebook group. That would be great. Yeah, lovely. Ah, so it's on to your interview next then. Yep, we'll um, we'll move on to that right now. Hello there. Today I'm speaking with Mark Sinclair all the way from Western Australia. Hi there, Mark. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Thanks Um, for having me on the show. You are very, very welcome. Now, the reason that Mark is uh, on the show is because a little while ago, uh, as you might or might not know, I'm a bit of an AppSumo addict and Mark's SaaS product called SparkChat which you can find over at Spark, sorry, Spark Chart, I do apologize, um, which you can find over at sparkchart.com, uh, was featured and I got in there straight away and bought it and was terribly impressed. So I asked him to come on and, and basically give us give us the lowdown about this um, Spark Chart product and what it does. So hi there, and would you just want to tell us a little bit about um, what the product is, just very briefly, where the idea came from and who you've implemented it with? All right. Well, SparkChart is a survey software tool. So if anyone's used SurveyMonkey, 
um, or some of the other survey tools out there. Our aim, I guess, is to be better and cheaper than all of them. And in this day and age of technology, it is possible to be, be cheaper than competitors and, and produce a better product. Uh, I've been involved in feedback for a long time. And I guess um, uh, in my last business, we, we had a bureau service where we managed the project ourselves, the survey project. And we charged our clients a large amount of money every time we ran a survey. So in a moment of insanity, I decided to build a SaaS product uh, with the aim, I guess, of helping people become survey experts and to provide a really affordable tool for organizations or consultants or freelancers, anyone out there to use to, to get the feedback they really need. So uh, when, you, um, yeah. when you decided to do this, um, why did you go down the route of um, SaaS as opposed to, let's say, sticking your flag in the ground with something like WordPress or Drupal and creating something which bolted onto that? Yeah, good question. Uh, and I've worked a lot with WordPress. I've built about 50 WordPress sites myself in the last three years for my clients in my consulting business. And there are lots of great plugins that come with WordPress. Um, but we wanted to build a comprehensive survey tool that um, goes beyond what you might need to, in terms of getting feedback from a website. Uh, and we can do that with SparkChart on our website. We've got um, surveys embedded there. One of the people on AppSumo actually went and built a WordPress plugin for SparkChart called Spark Embed. Um, but we wanted to build a, a, a really comprehensive tool that would allow people to uh, run any size of survey project from just one or two questions, maybe a net promoter score, right through to a large survey, maybe a large employee survey, uh, maybe sending it to 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 people, and then being able to uh, look at the results, dig into the results, analyze, and create some beautiful reports. Um, and that's sort of a bit different to the, the sorts of tools and plugins that you might get on, on WordPress, which tend to be focused on getting feedback uh, about people when they're on, on your website. Mm. So this can be used, um, well, I mean, the, the use case is infinite. As you said, it could be used for a tiny net promoter score, simple one question, or it could be used uh, to poll thousands or tens of thousands of people. Um, are there are there limitations? Well, limitations is the wrong word. What what kinds of questions can I ask? And what I mean by that is, um, can I drop in you know radio uh, buttons and check boxes and text fields and WYSIWYG fields and all of that? How, how does the survey how does the survey get constructed? All right. Well, first of all, um, we offer a number of templates uh, for a range of different. Um, purposes. Maybe it's an employee survey, a customer survey, a net promoter score, and they come as part of SparkChart and you can install them uh, at no charge into your SparkChart account when you subscribe to an account. Uh, so you've got those survey templates which you can use as is or you can customize them. And you can also build surveys from scratch. So uh, in a survey you can insert instructions and customize the look and feel of that with HTML. You can create uh, free text questions or questions using a rating scale, and you can have any type of rating scale you like. It may be an agreement scale, an effectiveness scale, an important scale. You can create any scale you want, uh, and you can also ask uh, multi-choice questions. So, you know, 
yes, no, mm. uh, or maybe, um, you know, one question I like to, to ask quite often in an employee survey is from this list, please choose up to five strengths of the organisation. From this list and the same list, please choose up to five opportunities for improvement in the organisation and then people can um, tick and choose from there. Mm. We do have um, some new features coming very soon, which will provide uh, more types of uh, question types. But one of the things I often see in many surveys I do is that that there's a real skill to designing a survey properly and effectively. Hmm. Uh, and I see so many surveys that have got such a, a mishmash of question types in there that make it very difficult for, uh, firstly, the respondents when they complete the survey, and secondly, for the person who's designed the survey when they want to analyse the results. So, for example, you might use eight different rating scales. Now, that gets very confusing for someone completing the survey. And when you come to look at the results, it's very hard to compare the responses for one question against the responses for another. So we like to tell people to try and keep it relatively simple for the respondents, as well as for interpreting the data at the end. Um, same with, uh, we've had a lot of questions come up about, uh, we, would we want a horizontal layout with a grid layout. And um, we're going to implement that. We haven't done it yet, but we've held off on it because grid layouts are actually very difficult for people to complete. Um, mm. And I know personally from my own experience, I've gotten into a survey with a grid layout and got very confused and frustrated and just exited the survey because it wasn't simple and easy to complete. Is that um, is that a thing in this industry? Is that a, a big problem? You know, let's say, typically, if I was to have an email list of, let's say, 10,000 people and they'd all bought products from my WooCommerce store or something like that, and I wanted to find out what their thoughts were about me, what would be the expectation in terms of percentages of people who would bother to fill out a form and, and does that dramatically yeah. drop off the more questions I ask and the more the more time yeah. I'm consuming really good question that and we're building a survey advisor feature and we're going to build it into SparkChart to help people make those decisions about how long the survey should be uh, and a whole lot of um, there are a lot of pitfalls in doing a survey I guess you need to think about it that how close is the relationship that I have with this person who's going to give me feedback. Mm. If I've sold them a, a television, well, I can probably ask them one or two questions and not many more. Uh, if I've got an employee of my organisation seeking feedback, well, I could ask 60 or 70 questions. And probably from those employees, I'll get a 90 or 95% response rate. Yep. Uh, if, if I've sold a single product to someone, uh, you really need to be very short and to the point to get them to complete the feedback. Um, and that's one of the pitfalls I see, people making the surveys too long uh, for the audience that they're targeting. Yes, the expectation is, of course, that you send this stuff out and everybody will utterly understand your desire to get this data, whereas, in fact, your audience probably don't, on the whole, care too much and they would you know, rather have something simple. Like you say, if it's an employee, different case, but... Um, that there is that friction of getting an email and then, you know, clicking um, and then immediately sort of dropping off because you've decided, oh, boy, this looks too this looks too cumbersome. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of a sort of wizard that's going to talk me through, well, steady on, this is getting a bit long here. Uh, pair it back a bit. 
Uh, yeah, and other things like uh, one of the you know, one of the things I often see is a survey where every single question is required. I'm mm. forced to answer every question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating, and um, it's difficult sometimes for a survey designer, and it, but a really important step to put yourself in the shoes of the person completing the feedback. And you might have, you might think you've covered every option, um, but if you have a rating scale that's required, and I get to that point of answering it, and none of your options for me to answer fit with what I want to say, yes, then and it's required. I'm either forced to put in an invalid response or I might abandon the survey. Yeah, I know which I would do. (laughs) Yeah, and that happened to me the other day. I abandoned the survey because I didn't want to put in um, the the wrong information. So simple things. I wouldn't, you know, I would make questions required only by exception. I'd make them all optional. You're better off for someone to skip a question, not answer it. And therefore, it doesn't impact your data. It's a no response. Mm. Then force them to put an answer in. And another pitfall I often see is rating scales that don't have an option like don't know or not applicable. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah. You really want to be able to give someone that option of going, look, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't get to experience that in the service that I got, but I want to answer the next question because, yeah, I really like the product. So we've, um, we've, we've, I mean, I've obviously been through Sparkchart. I'm now a happy owner of it. Um, there's the option to uh, obviously create all these surveys with all these permutations of different types of questions and different field types and so on. But the, the thing that I haven't really yet uh, seen, uh, although I know this is something you've put an awful lot of work into, is, is the data that comes back and how that data is presented to me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the... Because that's the point, isn't it? If you're going to do surveys, actually what you want is the data. Um, and it being poorly presented makes the product catastrophically unusable. But you've spent a great deal of time... T- tell us about what, what we could expect to see if, um, if we'd have done a comprehensive 10,000 user survey. Yeah, look, um, this is probably the most powerful part of Sparkchart uh, that we focused a lot of time on, ahead of some other things as well. Uh, you can, um, we have this this terminology called satellites and sparks mm. and mission control, and people have questioned questioned us about the the language. And a satellite um, is a terminology we came up for a link, but we use the term satellite to cover something which is uh, the the link you share on social media and websites and send to people if you want them to share it with other people. So we had to come up with a name, mm-hmm. satellite. When it comes to results, we because we're Sparkchart, um, we've created what we call Sparks. So when you come to look at the results, you can create a Spark. You click a button and it instantly produces the results for you in the survey. You can then go and customize the Spark. So the Spark will have all of your data graphically presented. Uh, And we've got default graphs. But you can go in and change the default graph type. You might want to change it from 3D cylinder to 2D bar or to a 3D donut. Uh, And you might want to change the colors. You can do all that in Sparkchart. There are something like 30 different graph types and 25 different color types. So you can customize the look and feel of your survey results graphically. Mm -hmm. You can also 
filter the results by any responses. So for example, you might have a demographic question and that's where, again, another pitfall for many surveys, people don't think about the end result that they want to get. So they often forget about asking the demographic questions right, right. which enable them to filter the data. So maybe you've got some demographic questions of the people less than 20, um, 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, 50 and above. In Spark chart, you can filter and, sh and, and the results by, okay, in this Spark, I want just the results of the people who are less than 20 and 20 to 29. You might then go on to the next question and it might be, well, what is your position level in your company? director, manager, supervisor, you know, employee. So then you could potentially filter on, well, let's look at all the supervisors. And so you can filter by the supervisors who are aged under 29. Uh, and you can also build your messages into Spark Chart. So rather than having to export all your results to a PowerPoint presentation and put all of your, your recommendations there, you can actually build them straight into Spark Chart. And then you can share it all with a link. That was going to be my next question, actually, um, because I, I didn't really get this far. And, and because of the, I'm a solo guy, I do most things by myself. I, I wouldn't not at, at the moment have the need. Are there sort of granular ways to publish reports and share those, mm. not, not just as a PDF, which obviously requires more yeah. interaction with an email. Can I, can I set up users yeah. in Spark Chart so that this user automatically gets notified that, look, here's some more data that you need to be aware of and so on? Um, I'll, I'll give an example um, of my golf club. Uh, <laughs> I got a call, got a call from, from the general manager there on a Monday and said, Mark, can you come and talk to us about Spark Chart? Now, I went in to meet. And he said, uh, we need to do a survey of our members. And um, so I said, Troy, sure. Um, when would you like to do this? And he said, well, um, we've got the board meeting on Thursday week and we want all the results by then. So what I did was I went away with some ideas for the survey and designed it and sent it back to him that night. He signed it off and then the next day it went to the board and we rolled out the survey on a Wednesday. So everyone across, all the members were invited, invited to do the survey. What I did was create a spark and a share. So we have a spark, which is a, a breakdown of the results and you can create as many as you want. You can have a spark, uh, which is for the chief executive and a different one for employees or uh, one for your management team. You can have multiple sparks and then you can combine them into a share and give someone a link to that and they can then see the results as they build. So what I did with the, the golf club manager was we launched the survey and I sent him a link uh, to the survey results. Right. And he was able to watch the results build in real time. And he's ringing me every hour and saying, Mark, this is amazing. This is fantastic. I'm seeing the results build and I'm seeing the trends as I go. So I let that go on for a couple of days. And then I rang Troy up and said, Troy, I, I want to come in and give you some more tools. So I went in and he had his Spark chart account. And so I showed him how to filter the results. Well, he was a very happy, excited <laughs> man for the next week analyzing the results. And we then got to, so the results are real time. That you can see them build as people complete the surveys. That's a nice uh, you feature. You can share them 
and you can choose what you share. So you might create 10 sparks. Uh, you might break down the results uh, maybe into sections and create a spark for each section. You might create a spark for a certain bit of filtering you've done. You can create a spark and you can copy it instantly and keep the work you've done and keep working on the new spark. And then you can choose what you share with your audience. I think so that's really employee, powerful, isn't it? The idea that you can, um, you know, create, you've got this one data set, but you can share multiple aspects of it. You know, the, the account manager over there is dealing with people over 30 or this person is dealing yep. with the, the, the younger generation or whatever, or, you know, you've got the female data and you've got the male data. And yeah, that's, that's really cool. I was working with a brand and what we did was um, with, sorry, a builder and they had a number of brands. So yeah. um, each brand was able to get a report broken down by the results from the people in their brand and further broken down as well uh, into sections for each brand. So they had about six, six brands, I think it was. So it's very quick and easy. And what I like about it, have, I've been involved in feedback for a long time. Um, what I love actually about the filtering is it's so easy. You don't need to be a consultant to analyze the results mm. and to dig into it. Uh, as soon as you start playing, you can become an inst instant expert. The, um, the reason that I brought Mark on to the podcast is because when I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when I opened up the app for the first time and started playing with it, I was utterly overwhelmed. Well, that's the wrong word, o overwhelmed in a good way by the uh, the quantity of information uh, that you provided so that people could understand the product. L literally, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you've never seen anything like it. How many, what did you say? There was 260 pages or something of, of, uh, of tutorials yeah. and help and, and everything yeah. is right where it needs to be. So the section that you're in has got a bespoke help section and it helps you through it with, with videos for just about everything. And that made me think, um, well, you're very, very serious about this product. Oh, we are. We are. Um, we have, look, uh, I said before a moment of insanity. Um, Dave is my <laughs> fellow co-founder. Co and about three odd years ago, I said I had the idea to do this. Um, and Dave and I had worked together before in a past business. He's a developer. I'm not. Um, I know about feedback and systems processes, leadership and stuff. Um, and I've been a management partner in a management consulting practice. But I basically said that to Dave, how would you like to spend three years of your life building a survey SaaS with no income and no guarantee of success? And, <laughs> by, the way, and by the way, since you now live in Poland, let's do it from opposite sides of the planet without ever meeting <laughs> face to face. Hey, boy. And so Dave said, yeah, why don't we build a rocket as well? <laughs> so, <laughs> So hence the rocket terminology in SparkChart. Um, what, that, what that did is um, we went 50-50. It brought the development expertise into SparkChart because we bootstrapped this. We've built every single thing in this business. Dave and I have built from our website to the software to the videos to everything. Now, now later on, as we become more successful, we'll get really polished videos and um, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep adding more features. But we are really serious. We've put three years of our life into this. Mm. Um, and we've sacrificed income. Um, we've raised zero dollars. It was interesting. Someone put a, um, a reply to a, a Facebook a comment the other day 
um, that I that I was involved in. And he said, Typeform have just raised $53 million. Um, and <laughs> when you look at the artic- article, they've got 170 staff. Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. And, and they're nearly profitable. <laughs> wow. And I, so I went through, the, went to that, I replied and I said, well, yep, um, we've raised zero dollars. We have two, two directors uh, and we're actually profitable. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we, we fell back from the, from raising capital. Now we'll get to a point I expect where we'll need to raise some capital to, to take spark chart to the next level, mm. but we've built a huge amount ourselves. Um, and what that allows us to do is to price spark chart at $300 a year, whereas survey monkeys, 1188 for two users, we're 300 for unlimited users. Yeah. Um, and we have some other, um, you know, there's, there's no upgrades. You can sign up for a free trial, 14 day free trial. Um, and if you're serious about surveys, then there's a monthly plan of $40 a month or an annual of 300. Yep. But there's none of this upgrade, 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 upgrade. You just get um, the full Monty. If you pay in the dollars, yep. you get it. Yeah. I have to you say, get it, everything. yeah, it, it is. I can't really describe it. I, I did make a little video, which I put on YouTube, but the, the depth and breadth of it is is like nothing I've seen before. It isn't your typical survey monkey or um, or other similar product. The, the, the complexity that it will afford to you if you are serious about this kind of thing and your business does need um, this kind of functionality is is incredible. So you went to this... you went to AppSumo and you decided to go that route. Was that now that that's all settled wow. down and you're back to yeah. um, normality? Was that a, was that a good choice or a, was that? Yeah, 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 it was a good choice. It's a very good choice. We've proven, you know, we had 600 signups in one day. Wow. Now, if you can handle 600 signups in one day and provide support. Uh, and when I looked at when I look at the stats in Zendesk, which is our support um, system we used to 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 um, help people when they request help, either via chat or or um, or, or raising a ticket, uh, our average response time is under 30 minutes, and the global average is 23 hours and 40 minutes or something. Nice in Zendesk. So. Um, you know, our values, one of them is is you know, passion for what we do. We really believe in the, the value of feedback, the importance of feedback. And you look at every great sporting team out there, they get feedback for everything. Hmm. Um, the other is um, being experts in our field. Um, thirdly is um, responsiveness. Um, just responding quickly, looking for better ways to do it, to help people out there. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we are very serious about yeah. about being successful with, yeah. with SparkChart. And 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 we do have customizing options like you wouldn't believe. Uh, you can, with us, you get, you can customize your branding, your logo, your colors, your messages. Uh, but with AppSumo, we got so many great ideas from people yeah. about, about things that we had planned, but... I'll tell you right now, one thing that came out a lot of was, was multiple languages. Well, Dave's building that right now. We're going to be releasing that uh, in a very short period of time. And there are a whole lot of ideas we got from the Sumo Links, which have helped us. So they've proved the model that it works. We got 42 five taco reviews out of five out of five out of 47 reviews. Mm. So that was 
fantastic. We know we've got a lot that we still want to build, um, but there's a huge amount there already. Um, yeah, it, it is it is a fantastic piece of software. I would, I would definitely encourage people who um, have this requirement to go and check it out. So go to uh, sparkchart.com. Uh, now, in order to sort of sweeten the deal a little bit, um, yep. Mark has very kindly created a, a, a coupon code. Now, I'm not entirely sure if we know what the coupon code is yet, the exact wording of it, yep. but do you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, if uh, Yes. If you go to, um, it's Sparkchart in capital letters, 30. Okay. So Spark if we go Sparkchart 30. 30 at the checkout, then you're going to get a, a 30% discount. I think that's really generous. Thank for, you. Thank you so much. For life. Oh, yay, that's even more generous. So um, go, go check it out, um, and hopefully it will meet your requirements. You said there was a full, you know, you get the full um, trial period. So when you're in the trial account, that yep. is what you'll see when you start paying. So maybe, Absolutely. you know, if you're unsure, if it's the right thing for you, go and uh, sign up for the trial and then use the coupon code. Um, that Mark's just mentioned just there to get 30% off. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I really hope that um, over the year and years to come that we hear more and more about you. There's been incumbents in this field forever whose names we all know, and it would be lovely if in a couple of years' time we could have you back on and, and at that, that point just about everybody's heard of you. Yeah, well, look, I, I believe that 95% of organisations out there aren't using any survey tools, so mm. there's a huge market out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and we plan to be part of that. Great. Well, enjoy so, enjoy the rest of your day in uh, Australia, what little there is left of it. And um, thank you so, so much. Take care. Thank you, Nathan. And today's end of fact is UX or user experience. Now, this is something that does interest me. And what it does is it refers to how users interact with a website or app, where they click, which pages they visit. And UX is generally shaped by testing the differences in page layouts and calls to actions, colors and that kind of thing. So it's a bit of split testing. But Nathan, have you ever done any of this? Have you ever done any split tests? No, I, I honestly haven't done an, an awful lot of this sort of stuff. I work on the basis largely of um, gut feeling, which is no measure yeah. of anything, frankly. But it, it kind of that that's the scope and the breadth of what I've got. You know, my projects don't launch um, into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. And the idea of um, I, I certainly wouldn't do any kind of testing whilst I'm literally watching people interact with the website, which I understand, you know, uh, would be very important if this was a mission critical uh, enterprise level website. You'd want to see that, you know, visitor X arriving on the website, not knowing a anything about what to do can navigate to where you need them to get to easily um but in terms of sort of split testing maybe a b testing i i have had minimal experience with that um, my clients generally speaking just often just want a brochure site and they just want a display of the information um and they're not too fussy about it being hyper optimized so no limited experience with this yeah, and it's me too, because I can't sell it to anyone. No. This is, I would love to be doing more of this. And it seems to me that it's always people like uh, Unbounce and um, Lead Pages and people who do marketing who sort of dominate in this area when it comes to us 
building full websites or brochure websites, we, we can't interest clients in looking at what you users actually do yeah I, I guess that my problem would be that most of my clients once the website has been built they just that's we sort of seem to say goodbye a lot at that point and whilst they might be on my hosting plans or something we don't often get back into oh can we optimize this page that's maybe something i could push a bit more and become a little bit more experienced in this but no I build it to the best of my ability and explain how it all works. And then hopefully it's obvious. And for me, I use the the common tropes. You know, I've got usually a, a, a header with a navigation menu and the sub pages hidden under uh, drop down menus and that kind of thing. So there's nothing difficult to find usually. Yeah. Hey, these ending facts are getting a bit like uh, Nathan and David's sort of ending failures, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> the ending failures. Yeah, that's true. No, but I think that's quite... We're human, aren't we? And we're probably expressing yeah. the same sort of stuff as a lot of the people who listen. Obviously, if I was to work in an agency, this would be something that I'd become an expert at because I would have the need to do it because my, my the clients coming through the door would demand it and have a wallet for it. I... I don't really have experience with this because my clients haven't got the wallet for it and so it just hasn't come my way really but at least we know at least we know what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and i'm really keen to push a bit this you know to try and encourage clients because it's going to make them more money i think if they get into this well they can see them especially in, in your case where you're you're going to be very soon launching your productized service where instead mm. of instead of communicating one-to-one -one with the client you're going to be communicating through the website and so that suddenly will become crucial you know if you discover that by changing a particular feature or moving something your conversions go up five percent because you've made it mm. easier or more obvious then that's very valuable in my case, um, I, I don't have anything along those lines. So, yeah. But obviously, you know, you can see this sort of stuff must be happening all the time. You, you look at web apps um, and they're constantly changing and they move things and they shift things around. And sometimes you'll you'll go into a familiar um, web app and you'll think, where what, what where have the buttons gone? And that, that, this is what they've learned. They've learned that if you remove things and put them over here, ultimately everything will be easier for everybody. And, and it's it's a constant iteration, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah definitely okay okay right let's <laughs> knock it on the head these ending facts which are supposed to be about a minute and a half long have ended up being closer to five so we should shut up and get out of here so i'm gonna say <laughs> goodbye from nathan wrigley and goodbye from me david Wormsley. feel the cheesy music swelling up beneath us have a great week Ooh. bye bye bye